All right. Well, welcome everybody to this podcast. Uh, I've got a very special guest. I'm your host, Reverend Christopher B. Kane here. we got a special guest. Christopher Kellerhalls is with us, my friend Chris, and we're going to throw this first podcast out on the live ministries and see where it goes. It might get a special channel of its own, but I'd like to introduce Chris to you, and he's going to just share some stuff with us. We're just going to have a conversation. <laughs> that's that's kind of what we're going for, uh, and uh, you are uh, too kind, uh, and uh, I don't I don't find anything particularly special about me other than, the, you know, I don't know, maybe... Uh, the fact that I'm a lot different than other people <laughs> sometimes, and, and sometimes not different in a good way. You know, it's uh, I've been told that uh, I'm a bird of a different feather, so... <laughs> but I think it's in a good way. Ah, well, I'm glad. That's, you know, that's probably the reason that they ran me out of Oregon and I'm here in Maine now. <laughs> we're glad, we're glad to have you. Ah, well, it's, it's good to be here, and thank you so much for having me on the podcast, too. I really appreciate it. We've been talking about doing this... Since I moved here, yeah, like yeah. I think we, you know, uh, I had a YouTube channel back in Oregon, as we've talked about before, and uh, that one was far less, you know, it wasn't serious at all, and it really, even though the guy I was doing it with, Ben Pemberton, shout out to Ben, he's like a really good friend, and he's like my best friend. He was the, he was my best man at my wedding. I was the best man at his. Um, you know, we we were playing video games and we were watching, you know, we were doing reaction videos and we did like these crazy how-to videos. Um, I wish that the YouTube, I've got to talk him back into putting the YouTube channel stuff back online because he took it all offline. Oh, is he in control of the channel? Well, I can get into it too, but I don't want to be like, right, after yeah. he removed it, you know, since he's part of it, I didn't want to be like, well, I'm just going to put it all back on. It was quite entertaining, if, if not to anyone else, to us. Um, we had a heck of a lot of fun doing it. So, Well, I saw one of those videos you shared with me when you first got here. Was it the gardening one? Uh, I can't remember which one it was, but I do remember it was funny. The gardening one was a lot of fun. And we had this, like, there was this alter ego character that I played called Biff Laser. <laughs> and he was like, familiar. Ah, I would, like, wear this bandana. And it was, like, the most ridiculous thing you've ever seen. But, like... He was like a, um, the character was like a swim instructor that didn't use a swimming pool. <laughs> and so we had like, you know, my, my oldest was on the swim team in Canby, Oregon. And uh, they had this fundraiser, you know, the, the team there for swimming, there was no school funding or anything. So they, um, they, it was all parent funded, so yeah. they would they would have to raise, and it was actually your job to raise a certain amount of money throughout the year to contribute to the program, which was really cool. It got everybody involved, and basically you had one of two options. They said you either raise four hundred and fifty bucks, or you pay two hundred and fifty out of your pocket, which was a really good way of going. Well, crud, I'd rather get four hundred and fifty from other people than. Yeah, pay two fifty myself. Anyway, long story short, um, we were doing that fundraiser, and so what we did is, you know, the old uh, is it Charles, um, the guy that does less than a for less than a small cup of coffee. You know, you could, uh, it's for supporting you know uh, children overseas and, and really good causes. So we like we kind of made a parody of that a little bit, and my buddy Ben. <laughs> So he like, we 
we take him and he's got this big uh, he has a beard a lot like yours like really big beard so we went and got white it, it was like the white hair you know single use spray paint yeah type my stuff. buddy does that at christmas time he dresses <laughs> up like santa so we like put that on him you know color all of his hair white and everything and we put him in like a white you know shirt top and everything and we've got Christian out in this yard, you know, and it's just like a mud pit. And Biff Laser is like spraying a hose on him, and he's like pretending to swim in this <laughs> mud puddle. And he's like, you know, for less than, you know, a dollar a day, you could support a child in need of a swimming pool, you know? <laughs> and he's like, and then it would pan to him doing some stuff, and then it'd be like, this is an entirely self-funded swim team and you know it like went through all the stuff but we really made kind of a production out of it and it was hilarious but um yeah so we did a lot of stuff like that like parody things and, and stuff but i've always wanted to do a podcast like this where you're just having conversations and hanging out and um talking about stuff that's relevant um you know things that actually matter in our area and in our world there's just there's so much stuff going on and you in particular are a guy that i always think of when it's like i value the opinion of chris kane so like when when i think of somebody who i would like to hear you know what they think about you know stuff like uh the constitution or things you know current event type stuff um and what i love about the podcast format is a lot of this is opinion you know we do have our opinions but it's really nice when you're also talking about facts you know you're bringing factual information into the mix which i think these kind of conversations have become lost between people yeah for sure and especially people with differing viewpoints and uh you know growing up in oregon as a very conservative christian guy um I mean, when I was a kid, you were, there was a lot more tolerance for you would, you would have an opposing viewpoint or you would have conservative Christian values and you might run into an individual that was really opposed to that, but it wasn't like they shut you down. And yeah. as I got older, the shift that I've seen as specifically the West coast go through, I mean, California, Oregon, Washington, all that area is like being a conservative christian white male is like like you can't like that's you don't even have any ability to speak on anything and it's not that i think i have all the answers but it's like i certainly have an opinion and perhaps an educated one when it comes to some things i think you do well for example um i was having a conversation with a lady one time and uh this was a lady actually here in maine and uh i won't say i won't say where it was but we were having a conversation there was a couple uh in the room that we were talking with and they were just getting ready to have their first child and mind you i was in a place where i was working entirely surrounded by women nothing wrong with with women i love women it's let me preface this with that but sad so, <laughs> we live in a world where you have to do that <laughs> all of your you're like man that alive ministries podcast really went down the tubes when you brought that chris guy on but so we're sitting there talking and it's like uh they were talking about um 
kids sleeping through the night and stuff. And I'm like, oh, oh, like, I'm a dad. I have two functioning children. <laughs> um, I've been through this. And nobody wants to hear, uh, especially somebody who, which one of these individuals in particular had a terrible time. Like, their children were, like, seven and still sleeping in bed with them and yeah. stuff. And, like, not sleeping through the night. Whereas my children... I'm not saying that that's a wrong way to do it or not. I'm just saying if you don't want your children sleeping in your bed when they're seven years old, like, there are alternatives. There's things that you can do. And so we had experience with that where, I mean, our kids were sleeping through the night at six weeks. Both of them. It wasn't just one. It was both. So I'm like, okay, one might have been a fluke. Two, okay, I think I have some authority on right, this Right, something's issue. being done right. So I, like, offered you know, that there was a particular book. We actually got What to Expect When Expecting, mm -hmm. which is a great book anyway. We give that out usually when we find yes. out someone's pregnant. So, like, you know, there were a couple things in there, but there were some personal, like, just anecdotal things that I was like, hey, this would really help you. Like, and you don't have to. Because kind of the advice that was being given, they were like, oh, well, get ready to not sleep for five years. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like... It doesn't have to be that way. Like, yeah. like if I'm doing my math right, that's right. a twelve-year-old you're still sleeping with. Right? Yes. So, like now, I I say this, and one of these ladies was like, "Um, excuse me." She's like, "Uh, have you ever had a child?" And I'm like, pointing at my stomach, like, "Have I ever been pregnant?" And I'm like, "As far as I know, <laughs> no." And I'm like, "Even though you know, in today's world, I guess men can get pregnant, according to some sources, but." I'm like, well, no. And she's like, okay, well, you know, like, now you have no room to talk. And I'm like, what does giving birth to a child have to do with rearing them after they leave the womb? You know, and, and again, I think there's a mother's intuition and things sure. that play in. Where, and there were times where I was doing stuff and April had to go, no, like, you know, stop, stop what you're doing, you know, and and take over or there were times where she was frustrated and i was like hey there was something i read in that book yeah. why don't we try it you know and i think that that's another thing that we've lost is that uh there's kind of that team aspect to parenting which is very foreign in, yeah in some areas and it's like either you know, some some people want it to where it's like, well, I'm taking care of the kids. You just go breadwin. You know, go make money, and that's it. Rather than this sort of, you know, back and forth and helping one another. I mean, you have children and, and older children. I mean, what do you think about that? Well, I think you got to have a, you got to have a back and forth, and parents got to be on the same page. You know, like when I was growing up, when my mom said, "I love you, mom." <laughs> When, when mom said uh, no, that meant maybe. And when she said maybe, that meant yes. And obviously yes meant yes. When my dad said no, it meant no. And and maybe meant don't ask again, like, until he asks. You know what I mean? But right. like, Let him think about it. I think that you need to have that dichotomy, right? It's, it's almost like the government has intentionally wanted to destroy families and, you know, basically get the dad to be government. And I think that you would agree with the breakdown of society. But for someone to tell you that you have no authority on the subject, you know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of this mess we're going through with critical race theory and stuff. You can't talk about it if you're white. 
you have to listen you have to listen to other stories but we don't have to listen to stories of those that are minorities if their viewpoint aligns with a conservative viewpoint we don't listen to them yeah i love what um amala i don't know what her last name is i can't remember but prager you if you ever listen to any of that yep. stuff i love kind of her description of her you know you call it a red pill moment mm -hmm. or whatever but basically when the light bulb came on that something was wrong you know from what i understand she was raised by two caucasian like white parents and she is a person of color so it's like she was going to you know she was hard into um woke ideology mm. and she was sitting at this convention and i'm repeating a story that she said but basically it boiled down to they shouted down this person that was like you're a white you know cis male like stop talking your time is over you know and they were like shutting them down like you have no room to talk and this is a person that's like trying to support this woke ridiculous <laughs> cause and they're shouting them down because their skin color isn't the right and they're not the right gender or whatever and and that ideology is just bonkers like the idea that that we are now reverting back to pre-Martin Luther King. Yeah. You know, pre-MLK, where it's like, okay, well now the the content of your character does not matter. You know, your gender and the color of your skin and what you identify as, you know, who, who you want to, you know, quote, sleep with or whoever, that's what matters. And that's what we're going to base, you know, your, what do they call it, intersectionality? Yeah. Where it's like he, he who has the most, you know, diversity is the gets one the who, most voice, right? Yeah, yeah, is the one that gets to speak the most. So, I yeah, I definitely disagree with with that wholeheartedly. The other thing too that I think should come into parenting is I don't know God. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like I think that God, you know, and prayer, absolutely, and the the seeking of good advice and good counsel and um and i think too uh in church one thing that i did learn uh very well at a young age was and thank god for my my parents you know they um for any anything that we've you know we as parents have made mistakes my parents made mistakes every parent has made mistakes I know I and for anything i can complain about one thing that my parents were really good at was they would point out when somebody there was kind of this cultural thing with christianity where when somebody was dealing with the repercussions of a poor choice it was like let's not talk about that let's just cover it up and not yeah. look at it and my parents instead were like very transparent yeah about let's learn it. from this you know, exactly they basically were like <clears throat> You know, X person did Y scenario, and now Z, this is the consequence. Yeah. You know, and they took me through that and then put it up against the Bible and said, this is what the Bible says about this. Like, this is why we don't do these kind of things. Well, that has been lost. So we're now in a, in a scenario where... Um, I feel like in parenting, so many people are trying to do it from scratch. Like they're, yeah. they're trying to come at it from the standpoint of not wisdom and not even always 
sometimes biblical wisdom is passed down through the generations. Like it's passed down through, I've told you before about my dad who was all about sayings. He always had little sayings. And little did I know, those sayings were rooted in biblical truth. So as I'm growing up, listening to these things and I'm hearing it in my head, you know, when I'm getting ready to make a choice or I'm dealing with my son, I have to then listen to the voice in my head, which personally I believe is the Holy Spirit, like guiding me. Yeah. And it's also, I hear my dad's voice. I hear him telling me, you know, stuff that I should be remembering in the middle of that scenario that drastically affects the way I deal with things. So we've thrown, I think as a society, we've thrown wisdom to the wind and we're kind of like just grasping for whatever happens to feel good or whatever's easy. Yep. And that's part of why, um, you know, we kind of scrambled off onto a bunch of different topics there, but, but something as simple as getting your kid to sleep through the night is like, well, are you talking to someone? Are you getting advice from someone whose kid sleeps through the night? Or are you talking to somebody whose kid is sleeping with them when they're nine? Yeah. Like, (laughs) and I know, do you go to a surgeon to have a surgery or do you go to a surgeon to find out how to become a music artist? Like (laughs) it's, you know, you're going to the wrong source. I know there are people who just get into the whole, uh, what do they call it? Co-sleeping. Is that the right term for it? Oh, yeah, I've heard that. Uh, and they're militant about it. Like, and they want it, they want it shoved out there <laughs> so everyone can see it. Oh. It's like, no one cares if your two-year-old sleeps with you. It's like, why do you have to talk about that? Except their spouse. Maybe. I start I start getting concerned <laughs> when you're like, this is good and this is the way it needs to be. And I'm never, when they're 15, I'm not going to tell them to leave the bed. I'm like, that really that concerns me. It's weird. <laughs> Well, and maybe for those of you foreign to me, let me rephrase that. For those of you out there that happen to co-sleep in your no co-sleep hate mail for me, (laughs) and your kids grew up well-adjusted. I'm not judging you. I'm just saying, like, I mean, we're married. We understand, like, as a married person, like, you know, there there are times where you don't want your children in bed with you. Is the only thing I'm saying. Right. I'm going to leave it at that, but it's like, you know, I feel like people's spouses sometimes have something to say about that. And yeah. I'm not, it's not always a, uh, a black and white issue. And maybe there's stuff, like I could see, you know, and again, we're sounding off on opinions here, but it's like with co-sleeping, that type of deal. Which is a funny subject for us to be talking about anyway. Two, a couple of guys were like, "Yeah, we're gonna get shotted down." By <laughs> Here were your, the, the, yeah, the your authority on co-sleeping. <laughs> the yeah, the XX mob is going to come <laughs> after us and be like, "You have no idea what you're talking about." But I feel like uh, I kind of lost my train of thought. <laughs> anyway, I'm just thinking about like uh, anyway. It, it's if it works for you, great. If you do want. Uh, you know, to not be sleeping with your children when they're seven, eight years old, you know, drop me a line, shoot, shoot Chris an email. <laughs> so what was the advice well, that you would have, uh, would have offered that woman? About so, that? I mean, part of it was, um, you gotta, you gotta let them cry yeah. a little bit. And I'm not saying like scream their head off for an hour. I'm saying like, 
They need to learn to self-soothe, right? That was hard. That was yeah, hard. Of course, as a, it is. It was difficult as a parent to um, not want to jump in all the time, and I had to fight the urge sometimes because, you know, Christian was born. He had a hematoma, so he was like orange. He was jaundiced really bad. He had a really big bruise on his head because his head was massive, and so he comes out. He's, you know, they've got him under the light, you know, to the phototherapy to deal with that stuff. And they were like, you really need to watch him, you know, because if... Okay, there's know, a good example where, uh, you know, it might be a good reason to, to have yes, your kids sleep with you. Yes, And so we were watching him, but then, you know, at a point... Yeah, yeah. It was, and mind you, this was like six weeks. You know, he's healthy, the jaundice has receded. He's now, we're getting to the place where, um, you know, at first they're like, well, make sure you're waking him up every two hours, you know, because yeah. wake him up every two hours to deal with him and, you know, just make sure everything's all right. He was wanting to sleep is the thing. And that's what worries people because I think a lot of people, they hear about things like SIDS, mm -hmm. you know, where kids just all of a sudden die unexpectedly and they still don't know exactly why that happens, but it can, you know, they're little bodies, they have little, little organs, you know, all these, these wonderful things that, that God has made, and yet we're still flesh and blood, you know, there's still Amen. things that can go wrong, and so, like, there was a point where he wanted to sleep through the night, and maybe not even through the night, I think at one point, it got to where it was like six hours, is maybe even four and a half or something, is what he started to want to do. And at that point, we talked to our pediatrician. He was like, listen, he's like, I'm not going to tell you that you can't wake him up every two hours to feed him. But he's like, he's gaining weight. He's healthy. His body is telling him to sleep. So he's like, have a baby monitor on, you know, check on him or whatever, but let him sleep. Like, yeah. And if he... You know, at the point where, and some parents, you know, they get all the way up and they're like, well, it's not when they were little, it's when they start standing up in the crib and trying to climb over. And it was like, at that point, I literally, all I had to do, we walked in, I grabbed Christian, I laid him down. And the other part that I always tell people is I am so much more stubborn than any child. <laughs> like, I feel like you have to be a little more stubborn than your children to make that kind of stuff work. But what I did was uh, he would get up and he'd be, you know, he might be fussy or crying or something. And I'd walk in and I'd be like, hey, bud, it's okay. And I'd take him and I'd lay him down and he'd be fine. He'd stop. Now I'd start to walk out of the room. And, you know, he's climbing back up, you know, hanging onto the rail and starts to sob a little bit. So I literally had to take him, just lay him down, and I'd stand there for a second. He'd be looking at me, kind of waiting for me to start moving. And his eyes would start drooping a little. And all I would do, I'd take a step back. One step. And stand there. And sometimes when I'd take that step, he'd stand up again. And so then I'd take him and lay him back down. And I'd take the step back. And then he'd stay laying. And then after he'd start getting a little more drowsy, I'd take another step back. And then he might stand up. You know, he's like, wait, you're leaving? You know, but eventually what happened was I got all the way to the door. And I'm still standing there. He knew I was there. And I'd be talking to him. I'd say, it's okay, bud. Just go and you can go to sleep. And then he would start to doze off and then I'd step out the door. And 
after I'd step out of the door, sometimes a couple minutes later, he'd get up and start 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 squealing a little bit. I'd leave him, let him do that for maybe a minute and a half, two minutes. Open the door. Hey, bud. And sometimes I'd just stand there at the door, and sometimes he'd lay himself back down. Or I might have to go lay him down, and then I'd walk back to the door. So and it's basically he knows you haven't disappeared. Yes. Yeah. So the whole thing is, but what happens is they're like, oh, I've done it 20 times and it's still not working. It's like, well, you might need to do it 25. Yeah. You might need to do it 99. Like, right. The, the fact is, if you're consistent, consistency is the key. And, and that was where um, I just feel like so many parents were so tired and, you know, you've gone through so much and, you know, maybe there's stuff that happened to the hospital and things yeah. in the back of your head that you're like, you're scared. Especially you if know? it's your first kid. I notice that's different. Oh, yeah. The second kid, you're yeah. like, go to sleep. And yeah. then you just walk out of the room, you know, not necessarily. But it was, even Liam, I mean, we felt a lot more comfortable on the second kid. But it was exactly that. It's like, I just feel like a lot of parents gave up too soon. Sure. Or, or they weren't willing to endure some of the crying, you know, some of the, you know, that was another thing. Dr. Varan, shout out to that guy. He's a great pediatrician. Now he's a family doctor. When we left, it was awesome because he kind of followed our kids up until we left Oregon. And so uh, when we were in talking to him, he was like very knowledgeable. And mind you, you know, people take different information from different doctors, different, you know, in different ways, but... But one of the things I had heard after the fact was people were like, oh, it's not good to let your kid cry. You know, and it's like, well, I don't know where they heard that because the the doctor that I talked to, he's like, it develops their lungs. Like, yeah, he's wow, like, if anything, point. it's good. He's like, you know, you don't want to let them scream their head off for a half an hour. But he's like, at the same time, you got to be willing to allow them to cry for a minute. Like, if they cry for a minute or two, it's not going to hurt them. They cry for five minutes or ten minutes. It probably isn't going to hurt them. But there's that threshold. You don't want to neglect your kid, but at the same time, you don't want them to feel like if they are not in your presence 100% of the time that they're not safe. You know, that's that's what you're instilling in your child. And that's why I feel like kids will sleep with their parents until they're 10 years old if you let them right because they don't know that no boundary or structure and i think it's yes. what we're talking about it is the same with discipline because you know say a parent doesn't want to deal with a crying child for whatever reason they feel like they can't well what about when the child is five years old or six or seven and they're you know they're acting up and you're like i don't want to spank them because you know i'm, I'm gonna count and i'm gonna do that and hey if that works for you great it doesn't work for me uh I just feel like so many parents maybe take the easy way out, like they're afraid to offend their child. Yep. And yep. I, I would like to ask. Uh, I want to talk about something you mentioned with your how your parents didn't um, didn't kind of sweep things un, under the rug, and particularly with what you said about Christianity, it's been my experience. I think that sometimes there's a misunderstanding of grace. And people sweep things under the rug thinking, well, I have to forgive, right? And I'm not saying you shouldn't forgive. You absolutely should. But if you look if you look through the Bible, there's all kind of uncomfortable stories in the Bible. Mm. Scripture doesn't sweep things under the rug, but I think, like, particularly 
have a lot of like childhood abuse and trauma, things like that. Well, we don't want to say anything because that would make the whole church look bad. Mm. And so, so much damage. And I'm speaking from a point, just so that the audience is clear, I'm speaking from a point of view where family members of mine have been abused. And it's one of those things that happened in church and people didn't really talk about. And I feel like when you do that, you're number one, you're misunderstanding grace. And number two, you're creating a, an environment where some other person is going to get hurt. Yep. So what do you think about that? Well, you hit the nail right on the head is what I think personally. It's I think that um, something that really, this is another one of those sayings things, and I've heard other people uh, you know, use the same terminology, but the, the quote basically goes something like, um, sin is like mushrooms. What is it? It, uh, what is it? it likes being um, kept in the dark and fed a pile of crap. <laughs> you know, uh, so it's like for some reason, um, the Bible is calling for us to shed light on things. And you're, you're right. I feel it was like the reputation of the church is what was on the line when people were like, we need to be transparent about sin and what happens, like what the fruit, what the wages of sin is. And uh, I, I feel like a lot of kids never learned that because, and I'm not, I'm not pointing any fingers, but I'm saying if parents were not transparent about what the wages of sin were, Kids are going to figure it out, but they're probably going to figure it out through the school of consequence rather than the school of wisdom. And uh, so I feel like as far as, um, I mean, biblically, I mean, think of the stories where these, these pillars of the faith went through stuff. And I mean, David... David's a great example, yeah. man after God's own heart. And there was stuff that that guy swept under the rug. I mean, and, and he look how up, it affected his family. Yes, he he paid for it. I mean, you had what, what is it, uh, Absalom, yeah. right? Um, it it's just Tamar's daughter, and I he, forget the brother's name, but yeah, yeah. but it's yeah. it's absolutely true. Um, you know the the not dealing directly with sin. I, I feel like that's where um, there is a time and I think that's it's different when the Bible speaks about running. There's a time to run. Yeah, absolutely. Now, after the fact, you know, after the sin has happened and everything, I think reflection is key. I think self-examination, you know, or you know, hopefully if if you are observing the wages of sin in someone else's life you know that that perspective of being able to say listen we love this person but i want you to understand why their life is the way it is i want you to understand why this is happening and maybe you know there were there were probably times where we didn't have the whole story or something and there might have been more to it but it was easy when i knew in in my church one of the prime examples I can think of of this is there was a guitarist one of the most talented guitarists I've ever met but in that relationship alcohol and drugs 
and it was something about that rock and roll type lifestyle. There's a lot of truth to that. Not to say no, that, no. that all rock and roll lifestyles, you know, not to say they all involve drugs and alcohol, but in this scenario, that was kind of where they came from, and that was their roots before they were saved. And unfortunately, what happened was, it was a foothold that ended up being like a tether that they were in, you know, they were in Christ, but yet they still had that connection to the world where that was like a part of who they were. And I feel like it was something that God had probably been saying, you need to cut that cord. Like you need to prune that out of your life, but because it was always there, you know, and it was one of those things where we'd even gone to their house and this is why to this day I'm like I'm weird about alcohol like I because I've just seen it so many times and, and yeah. literally I have friends right now I could tell you about that that had issues with it but it was where you'd open up somebody's fridge and there's a bunch of beer in there and in my mind I'm not like these were great people awesome people I love them to death but it was like I just looked at that and I'm like I don't think there's anything wrong with a person having a beer but it's the but yeah. is the problem like as soon as that door is open you know you're it's it's like a tiger crouching in the grass like it's literally waiting for you to screw up yeah and I feel like in our lives, God is trying to cut as many of those scenarios out as possible. And so, alcohol to me was always an unnecessary risk. Drugs, you know, thank God again that my parents were on it. And they were willing to point out, you know, when you had the person that was sitting there jittery, licking their chops. And I asked them, I'm like, why are they like that? And they're like, well it's likely that they used a lot of drugs. Yeah. So then when the time came in school, when somebody, mind you, it was only marijuana or something, but when it was offered to me, in the back of my mind, all I kept thinking about was that lady licking her chops, you know, with marks all over her arms, and all I kept thinking was, you know, no, maybe marijuana's not going to do that, but it's just a step in that direction. Absolutely. And so, man, do some people get bitter about, or, you know, worked up about that. It's not a stepping stone. Well, look, I, people ask me about my feeling on it for, like, cancer patients, yep. pain patients. That's one thing. I think the, the guiding principle has to be the, the focus in the scripture of having a sober mind. Mm. So if you're using it as a medication and you're not getting intoxicated, that's one thing. But it becomes a problem when you get intoxicated and you use that to not deal with what's going on around you. Yep. It's like with the drinking, okay? So you mentioned that you don't think there's a problem with someone having a beer, but... So I grew up in a time where a lot of the influences in my life were from the temperance movement. And it was, what confused me as a young man was... Their assertion that basically the wine of scripture was Welch's grape juice, for lack of a better, you know what I mean? For it was grape juice, it wasn't wine. What, what about uh, putting new wine in old wine skins and it bursting them? Right? It's obviously fermented, and uh, 
Proverbs 31 verse 6 says, Give strong drink to him who is perishing and wine to those who are bitter of heart. Mm. The Apostle Paul told uh, Timothy to no longer drink water only, but drink a glass or two of wine a day. So clearly there is some use, but your, your message about a foothold is so important because in my life, I took that way too far. I was like, well, they can't be right about, you know, Jesus turned water to wine, and it certainly couldn't have been grape juice, so there's nothing bad with alcohol, right? So I just did it to excess, just like pretty well everything that I do, right? Well, and the the idea that just because something's legal, you yeah. know, means it, that it's okay. And it's like, well, again, medicinal. Medicinal purposes, like, I think that, that all of these different, these different things that are on this wonderful world were put here by God. I mean, it's not like it's not like we found some perversion, you know, to create alcohol. It's like think of all the things that alcohol is used for. Like it's used for antiseptic, it's used for I mean, for pain relief, it's used for I mean, tons of different stuff. I mean, they have studies showing like health benefits and all this stuff, and it's like Every time somebody can bring up all those things to me, and in my mind, all I hear is, but. Right. You know, it's the but is the problem. And so I have friends I love to death that that is the one thing they will not give up. Yeah. And when I ask them why, they always have a laundry list of reasons, you know, and I don't pressure them or anything, but I just, sometimes they'll... Like, they will bring up the fact that I don't want to drink. You know, that I don't want to. And it's like, you know, oh, well, that's okay. You know, like, oh, I, yeah, no, 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 it's all right. You know, you don't have to. And I'm like, well, I mean, you don't have to either. Yeah, right. <laughs> you, exactly. You know, and, and they're like, ah, ha, 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 you know, and then crack, you know, crack open the beer. But it's like, every one of those people, I can tell you, I'm like, why don't, you know, the conversations I've had with people about alcohol, and I try not to get, um, th there's a lot of ways to shut somebody off, you know, when you're trying to have a conversation with them, and alcohol is one of those things that if someone, it's like, dr like drug addicts, if they're not ready to hear what you have to say, you may as well not talk. Right. But... I mean, I've literally said, I'm like, if you had to create a list of good things and bad things, you know, and when I'm talking about good and bad, I'm talking about things that God would honor, things that, that God would look at and say, well done, my good and faithful servant, or things that God would say, what are you talking about? Depart from me. I never knew you. If you had to take the, those two lists and you put how alcohol you know basically contributed to one of those two lists I'm like what list does most of those things fall into and every time in my head I'm thinking drunk driving infidelity you know domestic blacking assault. out domestic abuse yeah. like all these other things and usually the only thing that ends up on the other list is well it loosens me up it helps me relax and I had a good time and it's like well you can't have a good time other way. Right. You know, at that point, I'm like, well, does God always call us, you know, did he call us to have a good time, you know, all the time? 
you know, is that the only thing that God cares about? Like, did he call us to, you know, always, I mean, what, did he always want us in a state of partying or a state of euphoria? Like, no, sometimes God wants you level-headed. Like, sometimes he wants us to suffer for him. Yes. People like, don't like to hear that, though. No. And so I feel like, um, I feel like as much as that's a really hard pill for some people to swallow, I feel like. Um, I absolutely, um, people out there, if you're listening, I love you. If you, if you feel like you're a person that can handle alcohol and you can function and you know, you pay your, your taxes and your tithe and, and you go to church and you serve and all that, that is awesome. But when it, it's just those moments where I know that like when we were doing Bible study at my place. Mm -hmm. If someone had walked over to my fridge, if some of those guys that were coming to that Bible study, if they walked over to my fridge and opened it up to get some coffee creamer and they saw a bunch of beer sitting in there, yeah. I have to ask myself, what would they have thought about right. that? Like what how would they have interpreted that, whether I was responsible or not? Yeah. You know, and and that is something that I, I am ultimately responsible and, and the verse comes to mind about being a stumbling block that I, if they then go, well, you know, Chris Keller Halls, I mean, he has a beer every once in a while. Why can't I? Or my kids. Yeah. If, if my kids go, well, my dad had a beer every once in a while and then one of them picks up the drink and can never stop. Who is that on? Is that on them? Is that on me? You know, who, who do I blame for that? Yeah, I think that obviously personal accountability is important, but some of the, we, we're somewhat culpable for that no matter, uh, no matter what. It says in, let me see, Romans 14, <clears throat> trying to bring this up. Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but decide rather never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. So we're not talking about judging people for alcohol here, and I'll share a little bit here in a second. But it, we are talking about living holy. And I'm just going to jump over to Romans 12. It calls us, Romans 12, verse 1. It says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And my understanding, Monk was telling me last night, actually, about the, the word for reasonable. Because when I read that, I'm like, that's the least that you can do you know god died for you so present your body as a sacrifice and he was telling me the greek word for reasonable just means logical like since god did this it's illogical that you would want to live a holy life yeah. so we're not we're not trying to condemn people about that but hey and this is coming from um you know. i'm a former drunk by the way let's just get that <laughs> out there I, I lived that rock and roll lifestyle you're talking about and i will tell you that in my experience it did nothing good for me it led me to a place where I feel like God had to shut me down to keep me from destroying my life. Mm. And I don't believe that the Lord caused my accident. For those that know a little about my story, you know, I believe God allowed it to happen because he needed to get a hold of my life. That's a scary place to be, you know, where um, God cares more about our eternal soul <laughs> He cares more about that than any of our flesh. Yeah. So it's, you know, that's, uh, that is an area I never want to test God in. And I feel like I've lived a, um, 
it's funny because I always talk about like I feel like I've lived a, a blessed life like I've had a I feel like I've always, God has always taken care of me. Amen. However, <laughs> like, I sometimes I'll talk to my wife about stuff that happened in my past, and she's like, you got a screwed up childhood. <laughs> and and uh, I feel like, um, but but a lot of that shaped me. You know, yeah. Like you said, it's sometimes, and he really does use all of that stuff that happens to shape the person that you are becoming in Christ. And I, I love to talk to my kids about that, that whether the decisions they make are good or bad, you know, whether they, uh, you know, whether they have lived their life always according to what God wanted them to do or not, the great teacher is using either consequence or wisdom. We have the word of God that has the ability to, teach correct train rebuke to set us straight or we have the hard way you know which is let's put our hand on the burner and see if it hurts <laughs> you know that that always sticks out to me so like i i feel like not and again going back to what we were originally talking about not being transparent not allowing your children to learn through wisdom of and sometimes it's the wisdom of other people's consequences or even biblical wisdom by training them up in the way they should go yeah and they won't depart from it you know that kind of teaching is almost lost now um, among parents and I feel like a lot of people I talk to um, and I you know I dealt I've dealt with youth my whole life I mean I was a even before I was out of youth group, it was like I felt like I was dealing with kids, you know, that were growing up in troubled homes and everything. But it's like something I've seen uh, that's slowly started to happen is this like removal of responsibility from the parent. And they kind of go, well, they're, you know, they're going to do what they want. You yeah. Know, that kind of mentality, which, yes, I mean, your kids ultimately, there are some things that you cannot control, like that they may decide they're going to go do but at the same time like you can't have blinders on you can't be like well i'm just gonna let them kind of stumble into everything and figure it out that way it's like no it scares me you have to sit down and talk with your kids you have to take time you know time is the the one bank account we never get to make another deposit into Amen. and unfortunately some people spend all that time doing something other than training up their children which and we have my kids aren't all the way out of the woods yet you know well, so neither I, I, all <laughs> minor adults but you know even right now i'm just gonna mention that when I, I even after i get hurt i was 24 when i get hurt and my i was living in my mom and dad's house at that time even though i owned this place and even then there were certain rules that my parents had like my dad if you're gonna be out i just want to know where you're at when you're gonna be home you know who you're with that's pretty much it uh, he wanted me to go to church on Sunday. And I've heard people, you know, I even heard pastors say, don't make your kids go to church. That's the best thing my dad ever did for me. Because when it was time, when I needed the Lord, those lessons were already implanted. You know, like you were saying with your dad being a Saiyan's man. Yep. You know, that is important. I have a 20-year-old son, just for the audience, who lives in my house. And he knows he has to attend church, yep. you know. Well, an understanding that... Uh, I feel like that also is it falls on the parent understanding that 
God's word does not return void. You know, so even if I have to drag him kicking and screaming, even if I have to shake him out of bed and be like, you are going to church. Like, if that's the one thing he's going to learn is that he has to get his butt out of bed <laughs> and go to church, like, I'm going to get him there, and then I'm going to let God do the rest. Yeah, amen. You know, I'm going to try to get out of the way and hope that he's going to have, you know, an encounter that is going to help speed him along that path. And granted, it's not, you know, it's not just the church's responsibility to make sure that my kid absolutely is in the Bible or is in the Word of God or is having conversations about about uncomfortable topics. Like yeah. we've got to be able to talk. And this is why I love what we're doing right now. I feel like what has been lost in the Christian community is being able to have conversations about uncomfortable topics in a in a way that is just I mean, it's not that it's it it's going to be comfortable, but in a way that's whether it's civil or mature or godly or there there's like a spiritual godly conversation that needs to happen around some of these topics that I feel like we try to um, we try to like substitute you know yakking with the guys at work about you know how we're mad that Joe Biden's president or or something and it's like well why don't we talk to each other about what our response as Christians is going to be you know as as men of God how are we going to deal with the hand that we're dealt? You know, there's only so much we can control. So it's like, are we going to get frustrated? Are we going to give up? Like, are we going to throw our hands in the air and tell our children that they're doomed and that our country is, you know, going to H-E double hockey sticks in the handbasket? Like, no, we have to take responsibility as men and we have to have these kind of conversations. The ones that... <laughs> people need to hear or they need to talk about like some people they need to hear that there are people out there that don't drink that don't think that they are the scum of the universe you know? yeah because all they've ever heard from christians is well if you put that beer bottle up to your lips you know you're a piece of garbage is basically what they hear and it's like that is such an important testimony for someone like you to be able to come from those places of wisdom that you had to learn through consequence and speak to somebody in love about a scenario that is not comfortable to talk about. People don't want to start conversations with, with people that have either maybe made it, you know, somewhere out of the woods there. Uh, you know, that's a difficult thing to hear from sometimes wisdom is not easy to hear. Like, and it's, it's not to say that everything we're talking about here is wise. Like, sometimes we're, we're well, shooting the breeze, but, but... So many people feel alone, though. And the things that we're just sitting here talking about, I guarantee you there are people shaking their heads. And it's been my experience that it really is... There's a lot of blessing just in saying things that people won't say. And I'm not going to bring up a name, but you know exactly who I'm talking about. We have a person in Sunday school who's transparent. A lot of people say, you're doing such a great job with Sunday school. And be, for those that don't know, I'm one of the teachers there. But I don't believe it's me. Like, I believe it's the Holy Spirit. And I believe the instrument that's being used is not even me. I believe it's this individual who's willing to speak about the things that happened in his past. You know, drug addiction and how that played out. Yep. And there's other people sitting around the table who maybe aren't saying, yeah, I've been there too. 
Yeah. But they're there. And it helps them to hear that. Encouragement, too, is such a huge part of of sharpening one another as well, especially when we're able to, to, like you said, come out and talk about some of these things that aren't easy to to admit like nobody ever wants to admit that they're messed up or that, or that sometimes their thinking isn't perfect and uh, I feel like through that realization that I am an imperfect being that that thank God through the blood of Jesus has has taken away you know that responsibility from me like yeah. Now I have to, you know, I now my compass is pointed in the correct direction and it's my responsibility to head towards Christ. Amen. And, but all of the, all of the payment for the sin was already done. Like, like that, that's happened. So it's that acknowledgement that, uh, I think is really difficult for some people to figure out that, um, and again, here's a saying for you that my dad always said. He said, God catches his fish before he cleans them. And that's, I never quite, um, it seems really simple, but it made me realize why I grew up in a church with, you know, ex-Hells Angels and Gypsy Jokers, guys that were still using cocaine um, and showing up at church high, but were slowly things were being pruned out of their life you know and and i used to hear people laugh at the term like hospital churches they would call them yeah uh, i'd hear people really like scoff at that and they're like like oh a bunch of you know they just think that it's okay for everybody to you know come to church that way or come in their biker vest or or whatever and it's like you know what though um i guarantee you that if that biker walked in in his leathers and high as a kite and he walks into church wanting to meet Jesus, Hallelujah. I guarantee you Jesus would not turn him away. Amen. Like, you know, he's, I, I think that that is where, um, that's where I think, um, and I'm not knocking the church at all. I think though that's where, um, it's people, you know, and what people don't understand is churches are composed of people, right? That are not perfect, and and some of them, uh, which I have the great benefit of having lived in a lot of different places and grown up in very different cultures, um, they just some people have never seen that side of reality. You know, I again, I grew up as a kid near Portland, Oregon, where I mean, drugs were a thing. Human trafficking yeah. was a thing. And, it, uh, go ahead. Human trafficking is one of those things that I feel like I'm an advocate. I, well, I sometimes say I'm an advocate for. I don't mean that. You I mean you're an advocate for talking for about it, right? People that for the people that have that. been victims to that, or sur- I like to say survivors of that better. But it's happening here, it's happening all over, and people, they don't realize it. And I notice, I've noticed just like in my own experience live streaming, when I start talking about human trafficking or sex trafficking or abortion, you can watch the view count just, you know, <laughs> die. <laughs> right. It dies. Right. And videos get flagged and it's yep. like, 
Well, I grew up in, uh, I'm, I'm sure you have stories to tell, but where, where I came from, I grew up in Portland, Oregon, along the I-5 corridor, and there's a gang called 13th Street that is directly from Mexico that their whole M.O. is you would go to a, a park, you know, like a park where children are playing, and you would see the 13th Street tag on a slide or you'd see it on something. And that means that that area is being watched by that gang for kids that are left to their own devices. Wow. And, uh, you know, police officers and them would, would try to clean those up and everything. And as where I lived, which was Canby, Oregon, they actually did an excellent job of keeping that under wraps for a lot of people. Like, a lot of people didn't even know that was a thing. But as I got older, you know, my, my mom bless her heart was very transparent about you know there are people that will take kids you know and this is why you can't just go out wherever you want to this is why you can't run around at nighttime so there was kind of a a balancing act that my parents did where it was like we don't want to instill fear but we do want to instill knowledge yeah like this is why mom and dad are telling you not to do this and sometimes it did boil down to fear you know, sometimes I think as parents, you have a child that doesn't understand the concept of something, and you do have to be like, listen, I am your father, and I am telling you you're not going to do this yeah. for your own good. And if for no other reason, then you better obey me. Right. You know, that is why we're doing it. But this is why. And maybe, maybe you don't want to even tell them the reason why. And I do think there are some scenarios where you have to have that conversation with your kids. But I... I think as much as possible, we have to allow our children to learn. We have to allow them to to figure out, you know, I'm not saying you have to explain every reason why you're telling them to do things. I'm saying we have to give them, you know, at least the ability to go, oh, that's why I, I shouldn't do that. Like, they have to, sometimes kids are very visual or they're very um they need to actually they're pulling in all this information and i think it's just us not curating it correctly i think we're not we're not taking the information that they're gathering and dealing with it whether it's because we're too busy on a smartphone or a video game or we're trying to unwind after work or we want to watch a tv show it's like conversations with children about sin when they encounter it, it has to be now. Like, we're going to talk about that right now. Yeah. Because if you sit there and let whatever it is cook for a while, let's, I mean, it's hard to unroot it. Great example is pornography. There's a real hot topic that, like, man, I don't know. Uh, my dad introduced me to a book that was called Every Man's Battle. And it's because I believe not and maybe it's not necessarily pornography but it's like every person on the face of this planet i mean we are wired i mean we're we're sexual. visually stimulated we're visually right? we're we're creature we're sexual creatures i mean in in a form so it's like god made something that was good and it got perverted so the problem is now it's everywhere yeah and what i could not stand i worked for verizon for years and years and these parents that would they would literally like bury their head in the sand with these 10, 11, 12 year old kids. 
that had access to a smartphone. And it's like, if you are not talking to your children about what is available on that phone, you are doing them a huge disservice because everything is at their fingertips. Yes, because if you don't want to talk about what they can find, they're going to find it yeah. on their own and they're not going to talk to you about it because they're going to be embarrassed. You know, so, I mean, and it sounds like this really like, you know, this taboo conversation that we had to have, but I had, I sat down with my, my, you know, 10 year old who he does sports and all sorts of different things. So we ended up getting him a phone at one point so that we could actually get a hold of him because he was on the road or he'd be on a bus or something. And I had to talk to him. I had to say, so bud, like, you know, basically, and it's, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to forewarn right now. I'm going to talk about something that's probably going to be a little uncomfortable for people, but, but I basically, yeah, but I basically had to say like, Hey bud, like, you know how, like you take all your clothes off and you're naked, you know, naked. Right. And he's like, you know, they're laughing about it. I'm like, well, I'm like, there's people online that do that. They take all their clothes off and they make videos of themselves. Yeah. And you need to make sure that's not comfortable to watch. Is it? And he's like, Nope. And I'm like, it's everywhere and you got to watch out for it because it'll just, you might end up somewhere where you're going to see it. You might pop up a video and it might be there. And I'm like, I'm just warning you now. Yeah. Like you need to be really careful. And he's like, okay, dad, that's it. It's conversation had and, and didn't have to get graphic. I didn't have to go into all the juicy details about what pornography is, but I did have, I was able to explain like, there's stuff online that you don't want to look at like yeah and absolutely. it'll mess you up like th- that that's the kind of stuff that we as parents have got to be better about talking to our kids about yeah because otherwise and it happens younger and younger like when i was a kid i was exposed to it at a neighbor's house probably eight. Oh my right? gosh a lot of people think oh we wait till they're 14 50 years if you wait till then they've been viewing it for well, seven or eight nine years at that point th- well think about it too i mean you had to really you had to look for it I mean, you had to go find it, you know, but now, now it, is, it finds yeah, you. Yeah. Like, you can't, I mean. You uh, have to try to hide from it. My word. Like, you'll, I mean, you'll just pop up a, a, you're watching a YouTube video or something and some ad comes on and it's like, yeah, you know, some person with hardly any clothes on and you're like, oh, like how, it's so overwhelming the amount of, uh, just the amount all of that bombardment like everything that's what it is a bombardment and it's it's truly because we live in a world that has it's really it's becoming more and more depraved yeah and it's being celebrated more and uh, I think that raising children in that environment may not be you know some people are like I don't want to have kids because of the world they're going to be growing up in but it's like, you know, eventually we're not going to live forever. So it's like when you have children and you are training them up in the way they should go, you have to understand that God has a plan for their life and that their existence, you know, I think thinking beyond ourselves is also something that we've lost as a yeah. society. You know, knowing that we're self-centered, that God might have made Christian, you know, my, my oldest the fact that God might have made him to reach this group of friends that he has in Holton, Maine, when he was born in Clackamas, Oregon, you know, that God preordained those conversations 
that he has with his friends about the fact that he's going to church on Sunday or that he learned this in Sunday school. They would not have heard that anywhere else, maybe. Yeah. And so it's like the the idea that um, we have no control over some of that um, is kind of false. Like, we do have some amount of control. I think what we struggle with is that we are trying to control it rather than prepping them so that God can actually have a hand in what's going on in their life. Yeah. When we try to, you know, the they call it the helicopter parent yeah. method where it's like, well, I'm just going to slap everything out of their way. Yeah. You know, what until, happens when you're gone, right? And then yeah. they're an adult and it's like, now the world is at your fingertips and mom and dad aren't there to, to guard you from it anymore. So we we do our children a disservice by not equipping them, you know, with literally the armor of God. You know, that's one of those, yeah. um, one of those parts of scripture that I think it got really cheesed out for a while with people because they were like, well, armor of God, you know, like, and it was so much ingrained with like Sunday school and little kids yeah. that would talk about it. But I think about the armor of God as like, man, like I have to go to war with sin every day it's not a yeah you don't put it on one and done no no it's like like jesus had the victory over sin now i have to live in that but if i don't live in it it's it's literally like like god puts up this like orb of protection you know that's like i'm i'm putting this here to protect you from all this but the second that you step outside then I, I can't, you know, you're not a robot. You know, this isn't The Sims. I can't just move <laughs> you back into, yeah, The Sims. I, I don't even know. Do people still play The Sims? Uh, I think so. That was like when I was, yeah. I remember when the first Sims came out. Uh, that's my but, brother. He, was, he played, uh, my sister too. <laughs> so, uh, in regards to the pornography, and you mentioned it like, well, maybe this is an uncomfortable subject. No, this subject needs to be talked about. Mm. I counsel people as a minister and I try to convince people that are continually struggling with this. You need to do a phone fast. You need to do it like you, you're literally carrying around with you everywhere. And for those that maybe are not internet savvy, I mean, you can literally, as Chris mentioned, you can get anything. You can order drugs on the dark web. You can order a hitman. You can, <laughs> I mean, you can order anything. So understand that your children, who are far more tech savvy than you, most likely have literally access to everything so much more so much more, more tech savvy like yeah i remember the distance in tech savviness between my parents and myself and i think about when i think about that it frightens me how much more my children probably know about yeah. that than i do but to your point it's exactly that like you're literally it's like an alcoholic carrying around a bottle of alcohol in their pocket and being like, yep, I'm 10 years sober, and they still have a flask of alcohol in their pocket. Like, I, I mean, maybe you're going to use that for, you know, someone who's in shock and give them a sip of it. But it's like, it's only there to hurt you. Yeah. Like, and some people, they really need to get off of Facebook, they need yeah. to get off of Twitter, and they need to get a flip phone. Yeah. Like, I, I encourage them like a jitterbug, you know yes. what I mean? Like. Yes. I don't care if it's an old folks phone that can only call three numbers. Like, you can call 911 on it. On oh, I need to have it in case of emergency. You can have a deactivated phone, as you well know, and call 911. Yep. So, 
I looked actually so recently, and this is a totally different subject, but technology speaking here, I actually looked and they have a cell phone that um, it's just a, they call it like a, I can't remember if it was called a light phone. I think it's called light phone is what it is. But it's, it's like a totally dialed down phone that is a smartphone, but um, it has very limited internet access. It has like text messaging capability. Um, and I think it can do some web browsing very l light. It's not like there's no graphics or anything. It'll bring up like text based like HTML type stuff. So you could technically like get some information really? from the web or something. Um, I think it's called the light. Yeah, phone it is. Too. I'm looking there right now. That's but awesome. I've really wondered if that would be usable on. I think it is usable on Verizon because Verizon's GSM now. Here's what their page says: the light phone, thelightphone.com, L-I-G-H-T. The light phone two is a premium minimal phone. It will never have social media. Praise the Lord. Clickbait news, email, an internet browser, or any other anxiety-inducing infinite feed. It's experience we call going light. It's a phone, and it calls and texts. There's a customizable menu of simple tools and a dashboard website to manage everything. Uh, there is a headphone jack, Bluetooth, and it can be used as a personal hotspot. The phone uses a unique electronic paper screen. Technology also found in popular e-reads. So it's a simple thing. Yeah. No blue emitting, no blue light emitting screens. Yeah, so I, I've i seen, and there's that. I know they've made um, other versions that are compatible with different networks too. But, um, man, I've thought about that so many times. And I'm going to share this right now with someone that I know needs it. And I feel like if, if that becomes an issue, it, it's like if that thing is soaking up more time than I can spend with my kids or something. It's I just think you got to cut the head off the snake. Yeah, you got to be like, nope, I'm done. Like, gotta, and I feel like that's how. Um, I don't know. I feel like that's how all facets of um, of kind of self regulating <laughs> begins is when you have to get tired of dealing with something. Right, is maybe a struggle. And you have to say, okay, like, I just got to cut the head off this. And so for me, circling all the way back to like alcohol, that's one of those things where I've seen it. I understand it. I get why some people want to do it, but I'm not going to even go there. Yeah. I, I just don't want to. Like, I don't want to. I don't even want to try. I don't want to test it. I don't want to find out if I'm a happy drunk, a mad drunk. I don't want to. It's just not worth it. None of it. And uh, that, I think, is we have to get back to more of, I don't even think it's necessarily a black and, a black and white mentality where it's, and that's kind of a vague terminology, but it's like we have to get back to where there's lines we won't cross. Yeah. Where we just have to put our foot down and say, no, I'm not going to do it. Like, I'm, I just can't go there. And we have to say that to ourselves, and I think what happens is we get um, we get kind of frustrated with those conversations with people, and um, you allow that emotional 
response to kind of feed into the talks that we're having. So, uh, like, I had no problem growing up with, you know, like I mentioned some of these guys that were, you know, rampant drug users in our church. And I could have a rational conversation with these guys and be like, you know, so, dude, like, I, I remember this one guy in particular because he wanted me to come play drums for, for his band. And I was like, well, you know, I kind of had to ask him. I was like, dude, are you guys like still, are you guys doing drugs and things still? Because I knew they were. Yeah. You know? And he was like, he kind of didn't want to talk about it. And I sort of was like, well, like, I, I don't know, man. I just, I love you to death, but I don't want to be around that. Like, I can't. Because I don't know how I'm going to, if I say yes one day or, or something, like, I just can't put myself in that scenario. And I'm like, you know I love you, right? Like, and he accepted that well. That's good. You know, but um, it's that whole speaking the truth in love thing that I feel like we've done ourselves a disservice by not being able to have the conversations rationally about sin. Um, and, and I do think that it would help. It would help us in our walk and in our witness if we were able to do that. Absolutely. So I got a couple of scriptures. I want to talk about that real quick here. And then I got some facts I pulled up about pornography because this really needs to be talked about. But we talk about being transparent and stuff. Um, let's see. Uh, James 5, I think it is. Confess your trespasses one to another and pray for one another that you may be healed. And the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. So... In regard to that, like, transparency that we were talking about, <clears throat> when you're willing to talk about what you're going through, that's important. That doesn't mean you have to give every gory detail of your past. Like, I mean, I can make it clear that I was a drunk, and when you when you reference not knowing where you would go with that, I know where I would go. Uh, and to some extent, like, just because I'm a happy drunk doesn't mean it's a, it's a good thing. Like, I would destroy my testimony. And with that... Mm. That in in view there, um, let's take Ephesians 5.11. Have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. Right? So, since, and Exodus back up to verse 8. For you were once in darkness, but you're now in light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And finding out what is acceptable to the Lord. And then... It says, and have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. For it's shameful even to speak of those things which are done by them in secret. Uh, that doesn't mean a lot of people take that too. You can't talk about that. But verse 13 goes, but all things that are exposed are made manifest by the light. For whatever makes manifest is light. Right? And then continues verse 14. Therefore, he says, awake you who sleep. Arise from the dead and Christ will give you light. Okay, i got a couple other... Um, I got a couple other. Well, while you're looking at it, the I think as well is um, you don't have to hop on a podcast and broadcast to the universe. You know, yeah. what what struggles you have. Granted, sometimes that can be very therapeutic. Mm -hmm. Like it can be a very, I mean, it can be a very good thing for you. However, I think that at a point. You have to say, okay, I'm going to be accountable. Like, I'm going to talk to somebody. You know, whether it's, I say, I'm going to go talk to Chris Kane, or I'm going to go talk to my pastor, or I'm going to talk to somebody 
a confidant, whoever it is. I mean, I just think it starts with you having to, you have to get it out. Like, you have to start being transparent with someone. Because it's not going to be super comfortable or conducive to just hop on, you know, wherever or get up and, you know, in front of a congregation and, you know, be it and start talking about the fact that you're addicted to alcohol, addicted to pornography, you know, whatever. Like, there's a time and a place for that kind of stuff. But I feel like it, it really does begin with, um, you've got to confess. Mm. You've got to get it out, you know, and... Because um, there's, there's liberty in that. Yes. And I think, too, it makes it easier for you to admit it to yourself. I mean, to admit it, admitting it to somebody else and then, you know, honestly, prayer, you know, talking to God about it, being honest with yourself and like what your weaknesses are, you know, where, where you struggle, I think is a very important part of all that. Yeah. Amen. Let's see. I want to mention just briefly, and those that listen to me often or know me know that this is a verse that I love. Romans, or excuse me, uh, Revelation twelve eleven says they overcame him by the blood of the lamb. This is speaking about Satan that they overcame, and by the word of their testimony, they did not love their lives to death. Right. So it's really important. I feel like that we understand our testimony is such a powerful tool, not because it's our testimony, but because it's the testimony of what Christ has done in us. And I think sometimes people go overboard with the my testimony, uh, and it becomes about them. I, I'm just saying that because I've experienced that. Um, but I think it's really important that we guard our testimony. Mm-hmm. And I got these statistics here. I think uh, I want to read one more passage. First Peter. Um, let's see. Let me just start at verse one. It's First Peter chapter four. Therefore, since Christ suffered for us in the flesh. Arm yourselves also with the same mind, for he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, that he should no longer live the rest of his time in the flesh for the lust of men, but for the will of God. And then here's the key passage I really want to read, verse 3 and 4. For we have spent enough of our past lifetime in doing the will of the Gentiles when we walked in lewdness, lust, drunkenness, revelries, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries. And here's something that's interesting. In regard to these, they, meaning those that live that way, think it's strange that you do not want to run with them in the same flood of debauchery, speaking evil of you. So I think it's important that we recognize that, you know, so many people have a fear of man, and they're like, they they try to just hide their faith. Look, people are going to speak evil of you if you don't agree with them. So you might as well side with the Lord right away, you know. I also find it funny how often Bible will be so relevant to topics. So like in that very scenario and like what you were just saying, like think of how often, and I I know I'm picking on alcohol a lot here, but it's like, think of alcohol as an example where it's like how often if you show up to a party and you're the only one not drinking, what are most of those other people trying to get you to do? Drink. They're trying to get you to drink. I've been that person. And if you don't, they're wondering why. They're like, oh, why are they like that, or or, or what? And it's like, it, it's just funny how like the mind, like how God knew our nature, <laughs> you know, the, yeah. the way that we tick. Absolutely. So I've had requests from people that view the live stream, um, 
for me to talk about this because they feel uh, so blown away by it because having grown up in church and maybe not having experienced pornography to the degree that some others do, they're just shocked by the power that it has over people and by the, the silence in the church. And I don't know if it's the church is afraid to tackle that because they, they just feel it's an uncomfortable subject or, or what, but Scripture has a plethora of examples of the damage of it. Now let's talk. This is from missionfrontiers.org. It's 15 mind-blowing statistics about pornography in the church. And stop me in any one of them if you would like to kind of go on about it. Um, so this research uh, comes from the Barna Group and Covenant Eyes. And before I continue, Covenant Eyes is like a it's a protective website thing, right? Well, do you know what? It, it's like a web filter. A web filter. There we yeah. go. And you can have a accountability partner set on it, and it's really good to help people who have been exposed to pornography in the past but it's nothing is so concrete that you can't somehow get through it there's a way around everything so it says that access to pornography is increasingly easy due to the wide variety of formats now available such as printed materials the internet dvd television and more so here's some data and the scope of the effects of porn in society and the church over 40 million Americans are regular visitors to porn sites. The average visits last 6 minutes and 29 seconds. Fact number 2, there are around 400 and or excuse me, 42 million porn websites, which totals around 370 million pages of porn. The porn industry's annual revenue is more than listen to this, the NFL, NBA, uh, MLB combined. It's Gosh. also more than the combined revenues of ABC, CBS, and NBC. <laughs> That's mine. I, I want to I make a fake news comment there, but I'm <laughs> trying to restrain myself. <laughs> uh, point number four, 47% of families in the United States reported that pornography is a problem in their home. Pornography use increases the marital infidelity rate by more than 300%. Wow. Oh, Fact number five, 11 is the average age that a child's first porn for, is first exposed to porn, and 94% of children will see porn by the age of 14. Isn't that crazy? So that's, and mind you, 11 was the very age that, like, I got my, uh, my youngest got his phone because he was playing sports and everything. Yeah. And so it's like, whew, like that kind of stuff. It's like, I'm so on guard for it because of just uh, I mean and again I mentioned that I worked for Verizon for a long time and little known uh, IT secret everybody out there who happens to uh, have their stuff transferred on their phones if you were to take your stuff into a Verizon store to have your data transferred from phone to phone they see everything that's on it and I can tell you more than one scenario where we reported people for child pornography because they brought a phone in that we were transferring through a machine. And um, it's startling, you know. And conversations I had to have with parents about their 14-year-old daughter. Yeah. You know, who they were sending pictures to. Which, by the way, I'm going to take this opportunity right now. If any of your children have Snapchat, if you know what Snapchat is... You may think it's this fun-loving social media app. It is not. There's a reason why the emblem for Snapchat is a ghost, and it's because it's supposed to make stuff disappear. Mm. And one of the things, and really the primary reason that Snapchat was created, 
was because you would send a photo and it would immediately quote air quotes here delete it which it does not get deleted it's on the web now yeah but it got started because these kids and adults and whoever else would want to send a lewd picture to somebody and they'd want it to be deleted the second that you know like 10 seconds after they did that yeah so just so you know if your kid has snapchat on their phone you need to have a real conversation with them about why snapchat's on their phone because there are other apps that you can send people pictures yeah where it doesn't delete it and if there's a reason that they're trying to hide what they're sending their friends and stuff then chances are you need to have need yeah you need to have a real conversation with why they're wanting to hide that kind of stuff from you because we we had several times where we had super awkward conversations with parents when they came in to transfer their kids' stuff on their phones. Well, like, I didn't want to put you on the spot about that because I know that you've talked with me before about the conversations you've had to have. And, like, nah, just so yep. people know, he's not shared any specific information. No. And I didn't, you know, I didn't want to come right out and ask you that, but I'm glad you mentioned that because I don't know those who maybe aren't as tech-savvy. I don't know if they realize that all that stuff happened. Even some who are very tech-savvy, I think a lot of the stuff, like Snapchat, people think it disappears, but it does not. No. Nope, there are. you got to think that the Internet is a big brain. And that brain, uh, unlike our brain, is ever-expanding. And in that, you know, they, they have things called servers, which are literally like your memory banks inside your brain. And those servers get bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger, and they store more and more and more and more information. And so Snapchat, the way that they transfer data from one person to another is you snap that picture of your dog or whatever, and that picture of your dog goes into the web, you know, so think of it as like a telephone line that's going up into this, quote, cloud. And that cloud is literally a big computer. It's a computer that's sitting in a basement in Snapchat's, you know, headquarters or whatever. And when it goes there, they literally take a copy of that picture. One stays in their bank. The other one heads over to the end user, so the person that's on the other end. And then what happens is off of both of those people's phones, it goes away. But it stays on that server. So the information is there. Like, it is, it's out on the web, and if you ever wonder how all these celebrities get their videos and stuff leaked to the press, that's exactly how. It's because the information does not go away, even if you delete it. Yeah. So, before we get back to these statistics, I think it's important for parents to understand, or husbands or wives or whatever, to understand what I'm about to say. Like, I'm, I'm just going to ask a question. Like, so, let's pretend that I'm the father of... A 14 year old daughter and lord knows what might be happening what might be being sent to her maybe she didn't even request these things but they got sent or maybe things were going back and forth is there a scenario and i feel like i know the answer where if a data transfer happened and you were doing it and you saw this stuff that you would obviously be mandated to report certain things so is there a scenario whereby Remaining silent and not tackling these issues as a parent, you're allowing your children to, you know, maybe wind up on the sex registry. So, you begin to, the second that um, anything involving children, and this is why we can have a whole other conversation here about, and we should. about we just... you know, sex discussion and, you know, 
the LGBTQ, you know, whatever. The alphabet. I've heard many people call it that. So yeah, the that whole thing. The second that you have the word sex and children in the same area, so whether it is naked pictures or whatever... I always, that was a very cut and dry scenario for me because I'm like, listen, the second I see that, I had an email sent off to my superiors. I had an email sent off to Verizon corporate and I was like, listen, I just transferred data on a device. You know, I didn't even have to name names yet, but I'm like, I transferred data on a device. There was obviously child, you know, make pictures of, of underage people in, you know, and sometimes, I mean, this stuff was graphic. Like, yeah. So I, I had to, I mean, you had to in order to, because the thing is then I become responsible if I don't do that. So as a parent, um, that has to become very real. Like, and I, I think that there's like this, just this naivety about all of that, that, um, we kind of let slide and I don't know not to put a too fine a point on it but like we notice that sort of the sexualization of younger and younger yeah. girls and boys for that matter are is happening I mean it's happening in schools and it's starting to become like it's acceptable even on on the parental level where parents are just like well they're gonna do what they're gonna do like kids will be kids you know it's like no, no, like this is not okay. Like, there's a reason why, you know, there are sex offender registries and things yeah. like that. And it's because of stuff like this. Like, we're supposed to be on guard about it. But I have, I mean, I wonder how many of those parents that I talked to where I said, hey, this is there. So, is that what you do? You at that point, you find something, you send those emails off, and then you have Because then to I'm speak. covered. I'm covered yeah. at that point because I'm like, okay, I've let them know. I know what's there, but at a parental level, I mean, they are the parent or guardian of that person. And so then I have to say, you know, I have to notify you that this is here. Now it's in your court. Yeah. Like you, if you know who the person is that they're talking to or whoever, if it's another kid, you know, that's a whole other matter. But if it happens to be an adult or something, I mean, then they'd have to go do a police report and it kind of would be out of my hands at that right. point. But, um, but yeah, I mean, we, we did have scenarios where we had to keep somebody's phone where we said, Hey, we can't give this back to you. And then, yeah, you know, we had to <laughs> call the police and literally have them come grab the phone, take it to their tech guys and have them go through it so that they could nail somebody for that kind of stuff. But so um, you mentioned the tech, I, I want to get your perspective is how it is for you seeing that like how's it affect because my 20 year old son is studying to be an it tech and his mom and i that's the biggest concern we have yep. and then i wonder if you could just maybe throw out a, a, a guesstimate of, of of the phone transfers that you do in, in a given day or in a year or whatever what percentage do you think that contained any pornographic images of any type i'd say uh i'd say you had the because you never know when people were like well i'm going to delete all my stuff before i take it in to get transferred or right, whatever right but i would say of the ones that we would transfer i'd say no less than 50 50 wow 
that would have something wow. on it. And um, and then you had the real, like, you know, burn your eyeballs out type stuff where you're like, I can't believe. And unabashful, like, like people having you transfer that stuff. And they know it's there. Like, you know it's there. And they don't even care. And they don't even care. Wow. Like. It was really, it was almost like, you know how you used to hear about, like, operators, um, you know, like, phone operators, how they would, like, start to have these, like, weird conversations with people, and they would, like, it would almost, like, do it for them by, by yeah. them, you know, talking to these people about the uncomfortable topics. It was almost, like, sometimes the same scenario where it's, like, just by transferring that data and knowing that someone is going through it was, like some weird sort of thing for them but uh, yeah. all i know is like i saw more than i ever wanted to like in whether it was underage you know and you had to i mean you're you can't do your job without yeah it's yeah just, i mean you oftentimes could not do your job without seeing some of that and so it was like you would get to a spot and i kind of where i drew the line is i was like if i started to see if I started to see stuff, I would literally hand the phone back to them, and I would be like, "Listen, I'm starting to go through stuff on here, and I don't want to. I don't want to deal with it." So, I'm like, "You either need to delete it, and then I'll happily transfer your stuff, or you need to do it yourself. Here's how you do it." Yeah. You know, but and it it was a really fine. It was a hard, hard place to to work and do that because there was a point where I had to be like, like, God, do you want me working here? Yeah. Right. Like, yeah. Do you want me doing this kind of stuff? And the thing is, um, where I finally had some peace with it was, well, you know, at least I have some kind of influence, you know, as a, as a Christian believer, at least I have the opportunity to maybe have, these conversations with a father who, or, or maybe other people or, would not have done so. Huh? Yes. Yeah. Where, where it's like, this is a real thing. You yeah. Know? And, and being able to have a, you know, rather uncomfortable conversation, but still one that was potentially beneficial. And some of these guys, I mean, they were people that went to the church that I went to, oh, wow. like, yeah. you know, where I had to talk with them and be, <laughs> and be like, you know, that's uncomfortable. I bet it is. Uh, but but it was real, you know. Yeah. So let me jump back here just a second. I'm gonna I'm trying to put all this stuff for you guys in the description of the podcast so you can view this stuff. But let's take a look. I think we left off um, at eleven is the average age. Fifty six percent of American divorces involve one party having an obsessive interest in pornography webs pornographic websites. 70% of Christian youth pastors report that they have had at least one teen come to them for help in dealing with pornography in the past 12 months. 68% of church-going men and over 50% of pastors view porn on a regular basis. Of young Christian adults, 18 to 24 years old, 76% actively search for porn. 59% of pastors said that married men seek their help for porn use. 33% of women aged 25 and under search for porn at least once per month. Only 13% of self-identified Christian women say they never watch porn. 87% of Christian women have watched porn. 
55% of married men and 25% of married women say they watch porn at least once a month. 57% of pastors say porn addiction is the most damaging issue in their congregation. 69% say porn has ad adversely impacted their church. And so I, uh, this link is going to be in there for you guys, the missionfrontiers.org, but there's some things that you can do about it, um, and I encourage you to look at it and... You know, have a real conversation with your kids or with your spouse or whoever, uh, anyone in your family you're concerned about because, you know, the reality is when we're talking about something like this, we're talking about it because it's a big issue and the statistics show that. Thoughts, Chris? Uh, yeah, I mean, I've, I've done a lot of topic, talking on that subject, but it, it's, it's a real thing. Um, and it's something that we can't, as believers, we just can't keep our heads in the sand about, um, especially with our kids yeah. nowadays. And we started to talk a little, I won't go too far into it just because, man, I can, I can <laughs> head down a, a rabbit trail when it comes to the, <laughs> you call the alphabet mafia. Right. But that's something where I, I mean, I had to have, I, I had to have a discussion with, with my kids that just this last year because of, um what they were learning in public school and, and the stuff they had a thing where they had to go over like pronouns and like how to refer to people. And it's like, basically, you know, one, the one plus side of it was that, uh, when the teacher was handing it to them, they literally said, I basically have to do this so that we don't get sued. Like that was sort of like the reasoning, which at least gave me some comfort that but the teachers weren't indoctrinating them. Yeah. Yes, you know, at least it wasn't like a hey, we're not going to talk to your parents about the fact that we're teaching you about this. Yeah. Um, which, oh, that just drives me bonkers. Like thinking about the whatever happened where it started becoming like teachers wanting to hide stuff from parents that they're teaching kids is so destructive. I can't even understand. But yeah, exactly. But uh, well, I was going to ask you too to totally like I'm kind of jerking us yeah, that's, off that's, left, uh, that's left wing here but um, I was going to ask like uh, so do you still are you still writing yes for, uh, you still write for that articles for that paper yeah I, I write right now currently for wisconsinchristiannews.com and you can uh, they're, they're a publication too uh, I think they have about 20,000 uh, newspapers they print each month I also write for realdarknews.com, which is a great site, especially if you want to get into the like the darker aspects of things that don't don't get talked about much. Mm. I I mainly write similar stuff, biblical commentary for them, but uh, and once in a while I'll submit articles to uh, the Fort Fairfield Journal. Um, but yeah, I'm still writing and I'm enjoying it, working on getting a book out, and I love writing. And for those that don't know, Chris is a writer and. It's just an it's an awesome thing to do, you know. I never would have thought that I would have wound up being a writer. I can't spell at all; it's terrible. Um, but my sister is a wonderful editor. <laughs> praise the Lord for her. Um, well, I always I knew uh, I had read some of those articles that you had that you had written, and uh, I I often enjoyed them. So I was curious, since we hadn't talked a lot about it recently, if that was something that you were still pursuing. Yeah, you know what? With that, actually, um, I want to let's check this out. There's actually something that I feel would be of benefit to us. I keep clicking the wrong button here. 
So I want to talk about temptation since we're on this subject before we end in a little bit. Um, but <clears throat> let me pull this up. I wrote an article recently called The Way of Escape. And I feel like it's just, I feel it's really important. All right, here we go. I think, here we go. Let's see. There we go. Okay. So it's based off the scripture, 1 Corinthians 10, 13. No temptation has overtaken you. <clears throat> that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Uh, we are living in a time which the Bible plainly speaks of. The apostasy or great falling away spoken of in Scripture sure seems to be unfolding before our very eyes. People can sense a shift occurring. We who are in Christ have the benefit of having read the end of the story, we know how this plays out, and we know wickedness will continue to abound as the day draws nearer. With these wicked times comes the wicked practices of sinful men and women. We who are in Christ are forgiven, but we are still flawed. And what we must do is learn to overcome temptation in Christ. I am convinced that because our adversary the devil cannot be everywhere at once, like God, that we all, we all too often do his work for him. I think the devil wants to trick us into being shackled by our past, our shame, our guilt, which is all forgiven in Christ Jesus. I think Satan does all that he can to get the believer in Christ to take temptation and turn it into guilt and shame and bondage and even desire. You see, if someone is facing temptation to steal or lie or commit sexual immorality over and over, the battle in the mind of the believer can become overwhelming. And in the heat of that battle against temptation, we are outflanked when we stop recognizing the frontal assault that we are facing as temptation. And we fall victim to the mistaken belief that we desire these temptations. We need not desire that which we are tempted by. We need not feel as though it is a sin to be tempted because it's not. Temptation is not sin. Acting upon it, even if only in the heart, is a sin. If the devil can trick you into desiring temptation, well, that's all the better. But at least he keeps us bound by the mistaken belief that we must live in guilt or shame for the temptation that we face. That is a lie from the pit of hell. Jesus Christ was a man like us, fully man and fully God, yet he was tempted and sinned not. Hebrews 4.15 says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. The book of Hebrews continues to say that because of Christ overcoming sin, we are able to draw near to the throne of grace and receive both grace and mercy to help overcome temptation in our time of need. Verse 16 says, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace <clears throat> that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. It's my belief that 1 Corinthians 10 says, No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with that temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. That tells me God will never allow or give me more temptation than I can handle. That tells me Satan cannot deceive me into thinking I am alone in any temptation. Satan wants us in temptation to feel isolated and alone from God and from the rest of humanity. We're not alone. We all face temptation to sin, which is common to man. We do not have to allow him to trick us into being ashamed for the garbage he keeps bringing and we keep rejecting. 
Just because our adversary wants us to dine on the husks of this world and wallow in the pig pen does not mean that I do not get to feast on every bit of the word of God. I want to dine on the fatted calf at the king's table. I'm convinced that the way out does not always have a neon sign that says avoid sexual immorality here, turn right to avoid lying, next left to keep from stealing. No, the way of escape is often found in the pursuit of looking for the way of escape. And by that I mean to say that if a believer drops to their knees or enters the word of God with humility and seeks God's advice on the situation, that the search for what God says is often the way of escape. So that was my May article there. And I feel it's kind of relevant to what we've been talking about. Yeah, yeah. That's, well, and that's exactly what I was talking about. You have a, you have a gift for nailing down and kind of deriving truth from from scripture like that so i want to god be the glory right yes yes sir well and he also gives gifts you know amen for for that purpose and it's it's cool to see you using those gifts um i've always been uh, astounded with your knowledge of the bible and how far you dig in to some of those topics which is also why i value your opinion so greatly um i feel like we as men need to find counsel and opinions and uh, yeah. and fellowship that is godly you know that we know i know that if you're buried in the word i want to get around you as much as possible because uh, iron sharpens iron right yes yeah and nobody's got it all figured out by the way no and i know you're not saying that but but we it, need to be around people who are trying to get it figured well out. it's it's just like um you know, you could use it in terms of, of, of like, um, you know, if you think of older, um, like think of historical warriors, you know, if you were a historical uh, warrior, like a swordsman, I mean, and you wanted to learn how to use your sword better, you wouldn't go and constantly be trying to learn from people that don't know how to use a right. sword. You want to go to the greatest soldier in your army and you want to be watching what he does. You want to hang around him. You yeah. want to, like that's the kind of stuff that that when it talks about iron sharpening iron or finding that fellowship or the brother of a brotherhood of believers like that is so important. I think as men and as uh, rearing up our children and, and being good husbands, it's all about that fellowship with with not perfect men, but men that have their compass set in the right direction. Yeah, um, and I think that's that's so key in knowing when, um, and I think that's also why some of the greatest Christian friendships I have are with guys that don't have it all together, and they know they don't have it all together, but they're at the same time giving it all to God. Yeah, like they're 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 like constantly submitting themselves before God and allowing themselves to be pruned and made healthier you know by the day you know not only spiritually healthy but sometimes physically mentally healthy yeah like it's just allowing that process and knowing that that god does have plans to prosper you you know he wants you to live a fulfilled life in him amen that's that's key and i think that 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 positive fellowship is a part of that so that's why i really appreciate stuff like this well i appreciate doing it with you and i look forward <laughs> to doing some more i yes sir i would encourage you guys uh email us alive ministries usa gmail.com let me know what you think about uh podcasts like this just us sitting down and talking and 
We do uh, really appreciate Chris. You got uh, any closing thoughts you want to share with us? Or? Uh, hey, uh, not much. I'll I'll say right now, just because I was telling you, I came bearing a. Uh, so Chris mentioned that I write. Um, I am in the process of trying to uh, make that into a career, and I've I've uh, anybody who's tried to write any long amount of anything knows that life can get in the way of that. And especially when you're a dad and a husband, you got to have your priorities straight. So I have actually, um, I'm in the, sub the editing slash submission process of a novel. It's called sort among ferns. That's the, at least the working title at this point. Um, I'm, I have brought my, uh, humble first rough draft over to my buddy, Chris here. And, uh, I'm hoping that, um, whether I end up going through a, a major publisher or end up self-publishing, that that will become a, a thing. And it's part of what, uh, you know, to put a finer point on that, what God brought me to Maine, I feel like, initially to complete. And uh, I, you saying that. I really have wanted to use that uh, to God's glory. Um, well, that's one of the questions. I want to ask you a couple so, questions about this. So... What purpose do you feel like the Lord is? Because you're a gifted writer. I've read, you know, at or nearly 20 chapters of this, and it's excellent. What do you feel like, what what do you see God using this manuscript, this book for? Well, um, I've mentioned to you in the past that, like, things that my dad said to me and little bits of wisdom, um, I've always found it really cool in stories that... Um, that and even even the Bible spoke in parables. You know, yeah. it, it, when Jesus was teaching, I feel like there are um, parables within the written word that it's it's kind of a sneak attack yeah. on people. Yeah. So like, I love the fact that um, when I'm writing a character, if I'm you know if I have a mentor in in this book or something, I being able to speak some of those words of wisdom that like my dad would give me into these characters and bring them to life. And to me, it almost brings some of my dad back to life. That's you awesome. Know? Yeah. And I know I'm going to see him again in heaven, but I love on the page when I'm reading about a character and I'm thinking about who this guy is. Um, I just, I find the fact that the Bible was one of the, I mean, it, it's, literally the greatest story ever told Amen. and it's the word of god and there's a reason that god gave us the written word to uh, to literally change us and affect us and i feel like as someone called to be a writer that my my writing has the ability to speak to somebody in a way that that would be different from me trying to just talk to people mm -hmm. and so partially that and partially i feel like um you know and what i hope for is that through that you know however god blesses the work you know i i'm not responsible for what fruit comes from it but i'm responsible for the work yeah so whatever comes from the work i will be able to give god the glory amen and what's great about it is I feel like it's going to open up conversations with it's it it is high fantasy the book is um and so there is a a culture uh, within that where you know and there's uh, I mean there's you know 
magic and unexplained things and all sorts of different stuff that are in the story. But what I love about it is that it it's going to open up conversation for what inspired me to write this story. And it's going to give literally a platform for, for me to speak about the gospel. Amen. That's my ultimate goal. And what, what I really want to shine through in, in my work is um, that this came from a place of I want to be a storyteller. And at the same time, I want to be able to tell the truth and the real truth yeah, amen. in that story, you know, um, and whether that be through the pages or through the platform that that book gives me to speak to an audience. Um, I, I always thought that I was called to be a pastor when I was younger and to a point, I didn't quite understand exactly what that calling that I feel like God had on me was. But once I realized that, like that didn't mean I had to get up in front of a pulpit every Sunday. It meant that literally I, I'm meant to use the, the word of my testimony. Like I'm literally trying to use my life experience and everything that's in anything I do, you know, whether, and I actually, I've, I've even done a sermon on this when I've, when I've uh, preached before, but I mean, if you are a ditch digger, like you can dig ditches to the glory of God. <laughs> like, yeah. like, and you have a platform, you know, that you are able to speak to someone. God put you in that place to affect someone. And, uh, I believe that he's done the same with calling me to Maine and calling me to write. So that's sort of a, uh, I meant for that to be shorter, but it was kind of, Oh, like that was great. <laughs> but, well, it gives but, us, it gives us a good jumping off point to, you know, discuss, a little bit more about what you're doing here in our next podcast, which I hope will be soon. Like, yes, we need to make a habit of these. We're yeah, it's not going to be another five years. Yeah, no, so. no, no more. <laughs> All right, well, Chris, I just want to, I want to thank you for joining us. Thank here. you for having me. You want to close us out with a word of prayer? Yes, sir. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this time together, uh, this time of fellowship. Lord, um, I pray that uh, not only would you bless this podcast, but bless my buddy Chris. God, I pray that you would just, um, Lord, uh, as he digs into these topics, Lord, and uh, talks about some of these subjects that aren't always comfortable and, and digs into your word, Lord, God, I pray that you would just reveal, um, God, make your wisdom known to the, the listeners that are out there, Lord. I pray that, uh, that God, the things that uh, we do and say on here, Lord, that we would remember why we're doing it. Um, and Lord, I pray that you would just bless his efforts, Lord, and bless the people that are listening, God, um, and those that are struggling with whether it's addiction with substance, whether it's addiction with pornography, whether it's, um, you know, family matters, you know, even problems with their kids sleeping through the night, Lord, I pray that, uh, God, you would, uh, be able to use this platform in order to reach out and touch those in need of, of not only um, what you have for them, but God, um, even if this becomes uh, a relationship issue, God, if there's people out there listening that don't have a relationship with God, Lord, I pray that, Lord, through this podcast, um, whoever might be listening right now, um, I, I would imagine that there's probably some kind of still small voice talking to you. Mm. And um, Lord, I pray that uh, you would touch that person's heart. Lord, let them reach out. 
um, whether it's through a message or whether it's them, you know, getting up on a Sunday morning and heading to a church, God, I pray that they'd respond to that, uh, that call that you have on them. And Lord, we pray for uh, whether um, it's someone listening who already knows you as their personal Savior or somebody that has not done that yet, Lord, I pray that, uh, God, you would help them in that desire, Lord, to become closer to you, God. And I pray that uh, whether it's Chris or I that happen to respond to that or, or if it's someone else, Lord, I pray that you would guide them in the right direction, Lord. Um, and I pray that you would just uh, develop that, Lord, and, and, um, and nurture that that desire in their heart, Lord, to change, maybe it's a bad habit, or change their life entirely, you know, turn it around for you, and, and Lord, um, I pray that you would just uh, bless, uh, bless, I guess, uh, each of us as we go from here, Lord, there's stuff that's happening tonight, and I pray that you'd protect uh, each of us as we go do that, protect the people that are going to do other stuff, whether it's go to work, or, or mm. if they're getting up for work, God, I pray that you'd be with them today or whenever they're listening to this. And uh, Lord, I just want to convey that we as brothers in Christ, as believers, Lord, um, we we care about the people that are on the other end of this, that are listening. And um, and Lord, I pray that you would uh, just make make our words fruitful, Lord, and let it all always be about you and to your glory. And I just ask this all in your precious and holy name. Amen. Hey, man. Thank you, Chris. Thanks, man. Well, I'm your host here, Reverend Chris Ruby Kane. We've been talking to Chris Keller Hall as the author of The Sword Among the Fern. Does that mean like I'm the first person to talk with you about this, like officially? You are. Like, so you have, I was thinking about that. So, right? hey, if I become some best New York Times bestselling author, multimillionaire, you can say you read it first. So. Yeah, you heard it first. <laughs> you guys can reach out to me at aliveministriesusa at gmail.com. You can find more about what we do on our website, aliveministriesusa.com. God bless you guys.